Well, good morning. My name is Nick Swan. I'm the associate pastor here at Grace. And we are going to be continuing our series in the book of Romans this morning, taken from the 13th chapter of Romans. And if the first half of Romans discusses how we are to relate to the governing authorities, and I think it's an important passage for us to study, but it's one that very much parallels one I preached just uh, 18, 20, 20 months ago uh, from the book of First Peter. And so if you're interested in that topic of how do we relate to the governing authorities, uh, we have all of our messages online. There's one May 9th of 2021 on YouTube where you can watch this parallel passage. So what I chose to do is not hit that first half of 13 and focus our attention rather on Romans 13 verses 8 through 14. Now, I did change the title of this message. This went to print or press on Thursday, so the title you have in your bulletin is incorrect. And the title that I'm entitling this message this morning is The Essence of the Law is Love. The Essence of the Law is Love. Let me pray for us before we get started here. Father, I pray that you help us to be a people who are more and more transformed into the image of your Son by the renewing of our minds. By your spirit, help us to love our neighbors well and to do so with urgency. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As many of you know, I played the oboe in the Charlotte Symphony prior to becoming a pastor. My prior career was to be a musician. Playing music well is a complex task. There are endless details that can occupy you as you seek to play music well. You have dynamics, various articulations, rhythm, intonation, phrasing, singing intervals, vibrato, how you vibrate the notes when you're playing, blending with other musicians, and then not just by yourself, but then playing inside of an ensemble. And all of these things require you to do things with your air, your fingers, your posture, your ears, your eyes, the inside of your mouth, even your diaphragm, all these various things in order to simply play your instrument. Now, oboists have this added dimension to what they have to do in that we have to make our own reeds, which sounds very strange. But we actually start with tube cane, and then we split it, we guillotine it, we plane it, we gouge it, we shape it, we tie it on, and we scrape it. Also, we can simply make the reed in order to begin to get to the starting line of playing our instruments. 50% of my time was spent making reeds simply so that I could play the oboe. Now, with all these processes and all these nuances, it was easy to tie yourself up in knots when it came to actually making music. You had all these things going on in your head, all these things it took simply to get to the starting line, and then you're trying to manage this read and play and play in tune and not too too loud, not too soft, all of these various things. And it's easy, like a golfer with far too many swing thoughts, to tie yourself up in knots simply trying to make music. Eventually... All these technical things would get in your mind and it would get in the way of the one thing you wanted to do, which is to make something beautiful. Now, a famous oboe teacher, Richard Kilmer, who taught at the Eastman School of Music, where Katie, our bassist, our normal bassist, her alma mater, when encountering a student who is all tied up in knots about their read and trying to make sound and music and all these things, gave them this simple advice. He said to them, when in doubt, play beautifully. Sounds really easy, doesn't it? When in doubt, play beautifully. You see, the reason a person does all this work to make music is because they love music. 
And they want to be a part of creating something that is beautiful. And in the midst of all these details, it's easy to forget the essence of what you're trying to do. When in doubt, play beautifully. Because the point of all of this is to create beautiful music. Now, Paul has similar advice for us this morning. In Romans 1 through 11, Paul has described what Jesus has done for us and how what Jesus has done has transformed us. He's shown us the beauty and the goodness of the gospel. And then since chapter 12, he's been teaching us how to live into the gospel such that as we become more and more like Christ, we see more and more of the beauty of the gospel revealed in our lives. But in so doing, he's given us a lot of moral teaching. Do this, don't do this, think like this, don't think like this, live like this, don't live like this. In the midst of all this instruction, it would be easier for us to get tied up in knots and what we are to do, what we're to think, what we're to say, what we're not to do, not to think, not to say. And we could be tied up in knots just like a musician that I was talking about. And so Paul brings us back to the essence of what it means to actually follow God, the beauty and the goodness of the gospel. To live as Christians first and foremost, we are called to love. Yes, we have commandments. Paul mentions several of them in our passage this morning. But the essence of these commandments can be summed up with one command, love. When in doubt, love. Love is what saves us. Love is the essence of all of God's interactions with us. Therefore, the essence of the Christian life is to love God and to love one another. Another, when in doubt, love. Now the main point of this morning's message is this. Love others with the urgency of those who live in the light. Love others with the urgency of those who live in the light. Point number one is this. Love the essence of the law. Look with me again, if you have your Bibles open there. Romans 13, 8, and I'll read through 8, 8 through 10. Owe no one anything... Except this, to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And all the other commandments are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul starts with this command, owe no one anything except this one thing which you are to owe to everyone all the time in all circumstances, times, and places, which is to love one another. There are many debts that we can owe others, but there's only one thing we owe every single person all the time, and that is to love. And it's this love that Paul says fulfills the law. He goes on to explain that the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. In fact, any and all of the laws in the Bible, they can be summed up, their essence can be found in this command, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Out of our obligation to love others will flow all other right living because it is upon love that all of the commandments of the Bible are built. Since we're going to be talking a good bit about love, it'd probably be helpful for me to define love for us. I am defining love, particularly love of neighbor, as this. The sacrificial giving of ourselves for the sake of another. Love is the sacrificial giving of ourselves for the sake of another. 
And the sacrificial giving of ourselves for the sake of another, it's not conditioned upon any merit upon, in the one receiving it. They don't have to deserve it in any way. It is self-giving. It is self-sacrificing. It is freely given as an act of sacrifice. Paul's teaching that love is the essence of a law isn't an idea that Paul came up with himself. Paul's deriving this teaching from the words of Jesus in Matthew 22. Now, Jesus in Matthew 22 is being addressed. He's being tested by all these religious leaders. And so one of them comes to him and asks him, what is the greatest commandment? It says this in Matthew 22. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these commandments of love of God and love of neighbor depend all the law and the prophets. What Jesus was doing here is that he was teaching that the essence of the law is love. And so he breaks this obligation of love down into two prongs, love of God and love of others. And in this passage, teaches us, Jesus teaches us that the essence of all of God's righteous requirements can be summed up in these two acts of love, love towards God and love towards one another. And it's these two loves that actually make up the greatest example of the law in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. So oftentimes you will hear two tables of the law or two pieces of the law broken down into love of God and love of others. The first four, no other gods before me, uh, no graven images, do not take the Lord's name in vain, honor the Sabbath, keep it holy. All of those are examples of love of God. We are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the other six, to honor our parents, no murder, no adultery, no lying, no stealing, no coveting. All of these are examples of what we are to do in order to love our neighbor. And so what Jesus is saying is that the whole Ten Commandments, they hang on these two loves, love of God and love of neighbor. And Paul's here is making the exact same connection. When summarizing what it means to love our neighbor, he quotes four commandments, the seventh, the sixth, the eighth, and the tenth, and then quickly summarizes that these commandments can be summed up with this one commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. And if we do this, if we love our neighbor as ourselves, we will fulfill, fulfill each of these commandments because love will never do any wrong to a neighbor because love is the fulfilling of the law. In other words, when in doubt, if you do not know what to do in order to do the right thing, love will lead you in the right direction. To tease this out a bit more, let's look at how love fulfills these four commandments that Paul quotes. As you recall from our Ten Commandments series, we talked about how each commandment has both a negative and a positive. This is what you are not to do, and in light of that, here's what you are to do. We refrain from certain activities, adultery, murder, stealing, and covening. And in love, we positively embrace God's de design, in this instance, for monogamous ma marriage rather than adultery. Promoting the life of others rather than taking the life of others. Giving generously and sacrificially rather than stealing. Rejoicing in God's provision for us rather than being jealous and coveting what God has given to others. When in doubt, love. For love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is the essence of the law. Now it's nice in some ways to be able to simplify all this. You can take the whole Bible and you can condense it into two commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. It's really simple. But the challenge is even when we only have two we still fall short of those. 
I defined love as a self-sacrificial giving of ourselves for the sake of another. And to give that love in a way that is not conditioned in any way upon the recipient of that love. And I don't know any of us who find it easy in every circumstance to give themselves freely for the sake of others. Especially when that person has done nothing to deserve it. And even more so if they've done something to make it so that they don't deserve it at all. That they're actually enemies of us. So yes, we have one commandment to love. But even that commandment is hard. So how is it that we can love in this way? Paul earlier in Romans gives us a clue Romans 5.5 5 says this, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And how is this love poured out or how has it been shown to us? Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, in order for us to love others in this way, we must first receive and enjoy this type of love from God. God loved us while we were still sinners. He loved us at great cost to himself. He did so by dying for us. He loved us so much that he gave his life for us. It's this love that has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. It's this love that gives us a reservoir of love required in order to love those who are unlovable, just the way God loved us when we were unlovable. It's this love that teaches us to love others at cost to ourselves with no expectation of return because it's precisely this kind of love that we ourselves have experienced from God. We pour out what has been poured into us, namely the love of God for us, a love that costs Jesus his life, a love given to sinners who do not deserve it and can do nothing to repay it. It's this love that God calls us to extend to others. And in so doing, we will fulfill the law of God. We will fulfill all that God requires of us. <clears throat> so a couple of questions of application. Do you actually understand and know this love of God for you? Do you know this love? Many of us will talk about how God loves people. God is love. But do you Know this love, that God loves you. Can you honestly say, I know that God loves me. He delights in me. He sees me and he rejoices in me. He knows my ins and my outs, my sins, my weaknesses, my failures. He knows all of my idolatry. He knows things about me that no one else knows. And he sees me and he loves me. Can you say that? Is it in your bones? God is not simply love out here. God isn't simply love for everyone. God loves you. Do you know that love? Have you experienced that love? Do you rejoice and revel in that love? Friends, we have no hope of ever loving another person well unless we know that love. Because it is that love that God has poured into our hearts by his Holy Spirit that will enable us out of the reservoir of what Christ has given for us to freely love others as God has loved us. Do you know and understand this love? And then following that, how are you doing loving others? Are you patient, kind, gentle? Are you long-suffering? 
Is there some level of humility or do you look at others with self-righteousness wondering how in the world they could possibly be how they are and how in the world am I supposed to love horrible people like that? You ever wonder that? Friends, we, our sins' hearts are really that black. They are that ugly. But it's impossible for us to continue to live that way when God has loved us when we are unlovable and he calls us to love others as he has loved us. How are you doing loving others? And if you're confused about how you ought to love them well, begin with love. Self-sacrificial, unmerited love to another person, regardless of what they, whether they deserve it or whether they can ever repay you. Because, friends, that is what God has done for us. When in doubt, love. All right. Point number two coming up here, very briefly. God's love for us transforms our hearts and enables us to love our neighbors as ourselves. It also sobers us by opening our eyes to the realities of this world. God lo- God's love brings us into the light and allows us to see how urgently our love of God is needed in order to live for him. All right, so point number two, urgency of love. Look with me, verses 11 through 14. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires." Now, Paul in these verses is pointing to the urgency with which we are to live out our love for others. It's not enough that we simply know God's love. It's not enough that we extend God's love to others. We must do so with an urgency that reveals our understanding of the times. We are no longer a people who walk in the darkness of our sin. We are a people who have been brought from death to life, from darkness to light. And as a people of their light, we are to no longer walk as we used to walk. We are to walk in a new way in the light, walking away from all the deeds that we did in darkness, now walking in the light of what God has called us to and has shown us to be the blessed life of obedience. We are to cast off our former works of darkness and walk properly as in the daytime. Growing up, I lived down the street from a marathon gas station. And on a hot, muncy Indiana summer days, I liked nothing more than to walk down to Marathon Station and get some snacks. Now, the Marathon had 25-cent pops, which I loved, and they had 25-cent little Debbies. Every little Debbie you could think of. Twinkies, Swiss rolls, pecan pinwheels, apple pies, snowballs, the little chocolate things with little white chocolate cupcakes, all of them. I loved them. I ate them all. I enjoyed them. So I'd go down to the marathon, I'd buy my little Debbies, and then I'd sit on the curb and I'd buy the pop machine, and I would buy a Fago Red Pop, and I'd pop the top of that, eat my little Debbie, and wash it down with a Fago Red Pop. And it was wonderful because I could get almost a meal for 50 cents. You know, you could scrounge in the couch. For the young people, we used to have change that would fall out of your pockets and would be in the couch. You could scrounge around the couch. If that failed, then I could hit up my brother's piggy banks and pilfer a little bit of cash from them. And if I could get a dollar, I could have a full meal out of this because I could get three little Debbies and a Red Pop on the curb at the Marathon Station on the corner of Tillotson, Muncie, Indiana. It was wonderful. I loved it. So anyway, I used to eat all these delicious treats without a single hint 
of guilt. Until lo and behold, one day in 1994, there appeared on the side of my Red Pop and Little Debbie's these confounded nutrition labels that told me exactly what was in these things and exactly how many calories I was consuming. Believe it or not, young people, there was a time where there was not a nutrition label on the side and you could eat in ignorance and bliss whatever you wanted and you had no idea what you were putting in your body and you didn't care. So... I was shocked at the immense amount of calories that I was putting into my body. However, I was hard-headed as I continue to be, and rather than allowing these labels to become the bane of my nutritional existence, I silented, I put to silence my guilt, I seared my nutritional conscience by continuing to hammer these Red Pops and these Little Debbies with reckless abandon. I, I didn't care, frankly. But here's the thing. I could no longer walk in ignorance. I was no longer in the dark about what it is that I was doing, what it is I was putting in my body, and just how bad these things were for me. Now, I use this silly illustration to make a point. We are a people who no longer walk in ignorance. The nutrition label has been placed on the side of our lives. We know exactly what's in us, what we've been doing, how bad it is for us, and what we are no longer supposed to do. God has saved us. He's awoken us from our sleep. And when our spiritual eyes were closed and our hearts were dead, we were unconscious to the greater realities of the world in which we live. But now we have tasted of God's love. The light of his love has been shown, has been shine, shown, shown into our hearts. And we now see who we are and how we were living and the sinfulness and the brokenness with which we were living our lives. So we are now a people who can no longer walk in ignorance. We're a people who can no longer live in darkness. We're a people of light, citizens of heaven, walking in a dark and a fallen world. At one time, darkness hid our sins, our immorality, our drunkenness, our sensuality, our quarreling and jealousy. But now God has brought these things into the light. And he's calling us to cast off our former works of darkness. To put on the Lord and to make no provision for the flesh in our former way of life. To die to the sin that once held us in darkness and captive. No longer gratifying the desires for our flesh. So how are we to do so? Quite simply, where we started, we are to begin by putting on love. And this love we are to put on, we are to put on with urgency. Notice what Paul says, the hour has come, the night is far gone, salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Therefore we are to put on love and live with the urgency of children of light. So what might this look like? Well, we are to embrace the law of love and we are to allow that law of love to examine our hearts, to shine the light of God's goodness into our hearts. And when it does, what will it see? How are you responding to God's love of neighbor in the commandments that Paul mentioned? He mentions that we should not commit adultery, marital integrity. How are you loving your spouse above all others and seeking to flee the lusts and temptations, satisfying your own sinful gratification? If you're not married, how are you doing with sexual purity, what you look at, what you do? How are you promoting life in others, not taking life from others, loving them with your thoughts and words and deeds, such that all who come in contact with you, are they flourishing because of the goodness of the love of God that comes from you? 
Are you, are you responding to God's love by freely and generously and sacrificially giving of your resources, your time, your talent, and your treasure? Are you trusting God's love for you that he's given you everything that you need, that he's also given everyone around you everything that they need, and therefore you do not need to covet and look jealously, hoping to have what others have because God has given you exactly what you need at exactly the right time? Are you trusting God's love for you? And are you pursuing this life of living in God's love and in the light of God's love with urgency? Friends, we are not who we once were. We are God's children. It's his love that shines the light of his law into our hearts, but it's also the light of God's love that shows us a pathway of obedience and goodness. Walking in the daytime, conscience is clear, living for God with our whole hearts. It's God who shines the light on the pathway of obedience and life and love. Are you pursuing that pathway? Are you living in the good of it? And are you doing so with urgency? Friends, this is our joy. It's our privilege. When in doubt, love. Because love of God and love of others is what God calls us to. And he calls us to do, the, do so with the urgency of those who live in the light. Let me pray for us. Father, it sounds so simple. Love you, love our neighbor. And yet it often is so hard. And Father, it starts with our awareness, not of our sin, not of what we ought to do, not of others and where they failed. It starts with your love for us. And I pray this morning, particularly now as we come to your table, that we would be amazed that you see us in all of our sin and misery and failure, and you do not see sin, misery, and failure. You see children of God clothed in the righteousness of Christ and loved as beloved children. And may that love shine into our hearts and change how we love others. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.